Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. And welcome to the Courtney Turner Podcast. I'm your host, Courtney, and I'm super passionate about moving and thinking. On this show, we are going to dive into all things health, fitness, personal development, lifestyle, and political sociocultural. I've always been fascinated by people, and I love learning from the experiences and stories of others. This has been a treat for me, and I hope this is enjoyable and useful for you. As always, if you have any questions, comments, or any way that I can make this a better experience for you, please don't hesitate to reach out. Hey, Aaron, thank you so much for coming on. Hi, Courtney. Thank you for having me. I'm, I was looking forward to this. It's been a while. I know we talk a little bit on you know social media or messages, but I haven't really talked in person or seen you in a while. So I'm happy to be here. Yeah, yeah. Same, same. I know. It yeah. feels like it's been a lot more recent than it has because of social media. That's the world yeah. we live in. It's, yeah. Well, and well it's I, interesting I was looking back at some Instagram. I think Instagram pulled up a post and it was like, I want to say almost three years ago or four years ago that we were training a little bit when you were coming into True. So, yeah. oh my and then time, time just, I don't know. I mean, obviously as you get older, it, it goes faster just because of the fractionality of it. But I don't know. It just seems like time is just exponentially faster for whatever reason. I don't know. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like the past, like, I don't know, what has it been, nine months or whatever, have been a, a weird warp zone for sure. Totally. Right? <laughs> yeah. So, well, I'd love to, we'll, we'll have to make that happen again too, the training. But let's yeah. dive in a little bit. I want to hear a little bit about how you got into training okay yeah um Aaron is a fitness trainer you go on yeah how did you get yeah um you know been actually been a trainer now for going on 15 years so um I kind of got into it not necessarily by accident but you know I, I worked out most of my life I started really training when I was in like high school doing strength training I played sports all my life and so fitness you know, and movement and, and, and all of that has just been a part of my life ever since I was a kid. And so, you know, when I went to, I went, I actually went to a boarding school, which is where I really started doing a lot more like serious lifting. And, and that's where I like put on a bunch of muscle and really kind of got into it. And back then, you know, this was mid nineties, mid late nineties was all like still the bodybuilding, you know, chest, all one chest one day and arms one day. And, but, you know, then I, I really got addicted to just working out in general. And once I left boarding school, I wanted to continue that path. And I would always have friends like ask me, hey, you know, what can I do to gain weight or lose weight or, you know, get in shape or whatever? Because they, you know, saw that I was fit and that's what I was doing. Because actually when I left for boarding school, I left, I was skinny. I was 140 pounds. And when I got back, I was like 180 pounds. So everybody's like, oh, my God, like what did you do? Like, oh, he's on steroids. Like, you know, no one could understand just 
eating well, putting in hard work and whatever, I was able to get, you know, really fit. And so anyways, I had a, a friend of mine um, who was, uh, I was talking to her on the phone and she was asking me like, oh, what can I do for my abs? What can I do to lose weight? And so I was kind of giving her some tips and she was like, you know what? She's like, you should be a trainer. And the funny thing was, is like when I first moved out to California, I didn't really know what I wanted to be. I'd gone to bartending school. So I came out here to kind of do your typical. I thought maybe I could do some acting or something because I was like a little conceited, like, oh, I'm a good looking guy. I could probably get a commercial, make all this money and tried to do that thing and just realized I just, one, was not really good at it and not very passionate about acting in general. And two, it just wasn't, you know, wasn't really for me. So <clears throat> I was looking up jobs because bartending is hard to find a job bartending. I didn't have a ton of experience. So a lot of places were like, we're not really going to hire you. And so I started looking up personal like, training. They audition you. It's crazy. Yeah, totally. In New York, like that was like a really rude awakening because I was like, oh, I'll just get a job at a bar like cocktail waiting or bartending and they would have auditions. You'd have to show up with your portfolio. I had like yeah. a calling portfolio that I had to stand online to present to go get like a job at a bar. Like, hmm, that's right. Okay. But anyway, well, I mean, that's the thing, right? Because it's the industries are kind of tied together. Obviously, if you're bartending or waitressing or cocktailing in these two, those cities especially, yeah. you know, there's, there's, I guess, the, the, you know, stereotype of actor got to look a certain way or fit the part to some degree. And the other part was the experience. Like, I didn't have a ton of experience. So they're like, we don't have any experience really. Yeah. So it's like, okay, well, I'm not going to get experience if I don't get hired. And so it was like this weird back and forth. And so then I started going to Craigslist, which when Craigslist was actually kind of still legitimate, I guess, or before it turned into, I don't even know what it is now. I've been on there in a while, but I've heard some, some bad things about it. But uh, I was looking for a personal training job. You know, it was like, oh, $40 an hour, be a personal trainer. I'm like, oh, that would be cool. And so anyways, long-winded kind of answer short. My friend, you know, after she said that, then I looked online for personal training schools. And because I was like, you know what? I don't want to just do this in a weekend and get some Mickey Mouse certification. Actually, if I'm going to do this, I want to learn it and learn it well. And so I actually enrolled. It was a six-month, 500-hour program that I did. Yeah, it was in Santa Monica. Um, and uh, actually, this we would go. I would go to Santa Monica down at the Promenade, and they rented out this room. It was like this independent organization. The, the, the main teacher, she actually at one point was a manager at Equinox, broke off to start her own like independent trainer certification company. Called, it was called the NPTI, but it was all based off the NSCA handbook. And so, yeah, it was 500 hours. I was doing that for six months. I would go, I would go to SMC during the day, and then I'd run home, eat, go back to Santa Monica at night at like 6 p.m. We would start class. We would be in class for about an hour and a half, two hours, have a little break. Then we'd go over to the Easton Gym on the promenade. I don't even know if the Easton Gym is still there or not. And um, we would do like another hour and a half of like practical application in the gym. So that was four nights a week for literally six months. So it was a really, really extensive uh, training program. Sure. Um, and then basically at the end of that, some Equinox managers came into the classroom and were like, hey, we're opening a gym in Westwood. We're looking for trainers. And I was just about to graduate that program. And they were just opening. So 
kind of after the class, I went up to the guy's name is Keith. And uh, I said, Hey, you know, I'm interested in a job. And um, he's like, okay, cool. You know, gave me his card and, and then went and had an audition and kind of the rest is history from there started at Equinox. And then there's a whole nother backstory with all of that too. So that's, that's how I got into training. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, yeah. So I love the kind of stuff that you do because it's very mind-body oriented. Like, yes. You don't, which is, I think, somewhat unique. Like, a lot of people do more of just, like, they focus just on the physical. Um, yep. And as you know, like, that, my, my whole thing is around the integration of mind-body. So I totally. really love that. Can you talk a little bit about your foray into some of that kind of uh, training and why you, why you're a believer in it. Yeah, 100%. Um, yeah, to your point uh, in this, again, I, I, I love to talk, so I may ramble on if you need to cut me off or, or interject for sure, because I, I'm very passionate about this. And so yeah. I just love to talk about it. Um, yeah, the mind body connection. So in my opinion, the fitness industry uh, is still lacking in a lot of ways. And I think to your point that it, it, it's a lot of times almost mindless exercise and it's just looking at the body. It's like, oh, just do, you know, 20 reps of this exercise or, you know, I, I just want bigger arms or, you know, I, I just want to be toned or, you know, I, it, it, it's very much. And, and don't get me wrong, obviously fitness in the fitness world, there, there's a very much aesthetic component to that. People want to look better. And I don't fault anybody for that. I like looking good too. I like being lean and strong and, you know, obviously looking a certain way. I, you know, I believe obviously as a trainer too, you need to look the part if you're going to be that, that way. Um, but yeah, in my opinion, what happened was, is I just, I, I think a lot of it branched from my own personal experiences of, I started uh, having like panic attacks and, and really bad anxiety and then going through like a, a, a pretty kind of severe bout of depression. Um, I had, I've had anxiety most of my life and, and kind of was never really conscious of it until it really started hitting me hard when I was having like full blown panic attacks. When did those and, start? What's that? When did they, those start, the panic attacks? Uh, it was, let's see what it's two, uh, about, um, seven years ago, six, seven years ago. Um, I was going through kind of a, a pretty, uh, trying time in my life, just in terms of personally in, in a relationship that I was in that was kind of falling apart. Um, family stuff, you know, my parents and some other family issues were, were really happening. Uh, job at Equinox, some of that was happening. Um, there was just a lot of, it's, you know, a lot of things that were going on, a lot of turmoil in my life. And so I started getting like chest pains and that's when the anxiety really started kicking in and then the panic attacks. And I would wake up out of like a dead sleep, like just heart racing, sweating like crazy, you know, during the day I'd have panic attacks and then I kind of, you know, fell into a depression with that. And so what happened was, is I started going to all these doctors, right? Because I'm trying to figure out what's wrong with me. I mean, They're awful. Yeah. Anybody who yeah. hasn't had a panic attack is a, is very lucky, and they have no idea. Panic attacks are can be debilitating. They're horrible. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. Especially too, you know, when you wake up up out of sleep, you know, dead asleep, wake up just full blown like panic attack, and 
you know, so I was going to all these doctors and actually at the time, you know, my, uh, the, the relationship I was in, the, the woman I was with, she was very much into psychology. She was trying to get me to see a psychiatrist and, you know, trying to get me on medication, you know, trying to help me, you know, to no fault to her, you know, she was trying to help me. And, you know, so I saw a psychiatrist, they wanted to put me on Prozac. And, you know, at the time I'm like, Prozac just seems like there was this stigma around it of like, I don't feel like I need Prozac. And so I was like, is there like a lighter version of that? And so, and then all the other doctors I was seeing were like, there's nothing wrong with you physically. You're healthy. You're this, you know, one of the doctors was basically like, oh, it's just anxiety here. Take, you know, was gave me Ativan basically. And, and so, you know, I went, I had an endoscopy because I'm thinking maybe I have an ulcer and all this other stuff. I had a, a, a couple echocardio or um, EKGs and an echocardiogram. Um, I had pretty much every test you could have I had and they all came back, you know, quote unquote normal. Right. And so that's when the psychiatrist was like, well, let's try, you know, whatever. So they put me on, I can't remember what it was, Celexa or Lexapro or one of those. And that actually made me worse. And that was like by far one of the worst experiences I've ever had. I, I was having suicidal thoughts. My chest pain was way worse. The depression was like through the roof. And so at that point, that was kind of towards the end of this journey of me trying to figure out what was going on. Right. And so I said, you know what? I'm... I, I got to figure this out. I, I'm going to do this on my own, basically, because I'm not getting the answers I need. So that's when I started looking into holistic, more natural healing. I started looking into changing my nutrition. That's when I started looking into meditation and neurology and movement therapy and breath work and all this other stuff to where before, you know, me and I'd been a trainer for many years before this. I mean, I'd been a trainer for seven or eight years before I started down this journey. And that was where I started, you know, a lot of that stuff that I started looking into, I'm like, before I would have chalked up to like, ah, it's just hippie stuff, like energies and frequencies and meditation and all that. I'm like, that's ah, BS. Like, and then I started applying it to my life. And that's when I really started, you know, kind of circling back to what you're talking about, the mind body connection and really started looking into the nervous system and stress and emotions and meditation and breath work and and then not only that how everything is so connected the mind-body connection physically mentally emotionally spiritually everything is so connected and muscularly whatever you know from your big toe to your head um you know we're a, we're a global organism of ecosystems you know your respiratory system circulatory system endocrine system vestibular system all of this stuff has to work together and interplay together and so from a fitness standpoint, I, I started stumbling on some pages like uh, Applied Movement Neurology. Um, they're based out of the UK. Obviously, Z Health is, is another one. They've been doing it for a while. Um, the Carrick Institute, Integrated Kinetic Neurology. And I started just looking into some of this stuff and, and going, wait a minute. Like, in my opinion, this is a big missing link when it comes to fitness because people are coming to me, I've obviously as a fitness professional and other trainers, not just for physical, but there's a whole nother side that, that we're missing, which is the mental and the emotional and the spiritual. And we need to really start looking into that when it comes to how people get results, how they get out of pain, how they function, how they deal with everyday life. And so then that's when I really started looking into the neurology of like the eyes, the vestibular system, the cerebellum, the proprioceptive system. Yeah. And 
you know, how that connects to everything and actually can enhance or, or hinder our performance. And not only that, not only performance from a physical workout standpoint, but performance from an emotional standpoint from with your kids or your, your husband or your wife or your job, um, you know, how your stress relates. Not only that, the other parts of that, how, how do you handle emotions? How do you handle attitudes and beliefs and, you know, your mindset, you know, your, do you have a positive mindset? Are you optimistic? Are you pessimistic? And so I just went down this rabbit hole of the, all the mental neurological, but then how can we start linking that to movement? And so that was where I started going, wait a minute, like trainers are missing a big piece of the puzzle, in my opinion, if we're not looking at these things, because what was interesting, so I watched one of your clips where you're talking about your eyesight and the glaucoma and some of what you, what you went through and how even the, the eye that you can't really see, you still can pick up light and dark and peripheral and how you're getting a lot of feedback and information from that. And what's, what's really interesting is like, go ahead. Oh no, I was gonna say, people who are legally blind still depend on their sight more than any other sense to, to so, for basic functionality, yeah. Yeah, and, and that, that was the, you know, the point I was gonna make is so 80% of the information we process from our environment is through our eyes, 80%. And so what happens is, is you process that information or, you know, so it's three things, input, processing, output, right? So if input, is let's just say inefficient or can maybe a little faulty or, or, you know, um, it's it just, uh, there's maybe a small issue or a big issue could be whatever. Then that, that processing is going to be less efficient. So therefore the output is going to be less efficient, you know? So when I started looking at and started talking to other trainers and even my clients doing the, the vision training, but also vestibular training, because again, that's very important because it's so linked, linked to the proprioceptive system and then the cerebellum and then the frontal lobe and, and just looking at how, how all of that interplays with movement. I'm visually impaired. I'm hearing impaired. I had fine and graphic motor impairment um, as a child and I was born with hypotonic limbs. So all of this, this is why I believe in the power of movement to heal. Because I, I always say I feel like movement in so many ways literally saved my life. Uh, and when I say that, I, there's actually the whole emotional component. We'll, we'll go back to that. But, but even just literally, phys physically, physiologically, I'm not convinced that I wouldn't be somebody walking into walls if I didn't have some sort of movement foundation. Yeah. I, I believe that 100% as well. Movement is medicine. I love using that hashtag quite a bit. And, and to me... <laughs> You know, I've seen it in, you know, in myself because that journey that I was talking about with you before is, is I've gone and, and most of it has, done th has been done through movement, meditation, breath work, and a lot of that, obviously nutrition, you know, like you were saying, you know, attitude and emotion, which is, you know, a whole nother component to it. But yeah, I mean, just through movement alone, I, I've been able to heal a lot of just internal stuff but also external stuff injuries and whatever and yeah for someone like you i'm a firm believer that giving your body the right type of stimulus it can really help in a lot of ways more than sometimes maybe we even know to the point of like you know had you gone down a different path i, I think that you know to your point yeah there's a possibility that maybe you wouldn't be as high functioning you know as you are given you know the 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 stuff, the stimulus that you've given your body, given, you know, some of the inf inefficiencies and setbacks and stuff that you've had to overcome and deal with. And, 
you know, I mean, I've, I've definitely seen it anecdotally with my clients when I, I have, you know, one of my guys, he's had spinal cord injury. He's, he's got a fused cervical spine, a fused lumbar spine. His left side of his body, his motor control, motor, motor function on his left side is very compromised. And we've done some cerebellum work and some vision work and some vestibular work. And he's doing stuff that he wasn't able to do for the last 20 years, like stuff that you and I take for granted or, or most people like putting on a sock, right? Making a fist, being able to, to turn and look and or having better peripheral vision, better reaction time. But I swear every week he comes in, he's like, tells me something he's doing that he wasn't able to do before. And he calls it magic, you know, but we... You know, I'll have him do stuff instantly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, instantly he'll get results. And and now some of these things are temporary, but you can affect the nervous system instantly and and enhance it. And it's a push pull system. So throughout the day, and even for you and, and everybody, vision is a skill. It can change throughout the day. Um, obviously, over time it changes. And a lot of what I've looked into with the eyes is is not only the, the intraocular muscles, but the extraocular muscles, but very much so what happens with the eyes is, is they become tired over time because we don't, we don't train them, we strain them basically by staring at screens and looking either here or here. I can't tell you how many people hardly ever bring their eyes up here or over here. And so I start doing eye work with people and they're like, oh my gosh, like one, they've never done this before. And two, what I try to tell people with the brain, the mind-body connection, but the brain work and the eye work, this is like strength training and mobility training for your eyes and for your brain. Because the brain is plastic and moldable. You can strengthen it and change it and, and develop it at any age. Now, granted, obviously, the older we get, the more information and, and, and the harder it is to make those changes in some ways or, or you know, do some synaptic pruning and kind of go in and then regrow new new pathways or whatever it obviously becomes harder as we get older but it can be done at any age and then again the vision the eyesight you know training the muscles in and around the eyes and I tell people it's just like any other type of training you, you can't go in and expect to start you know squatting 300 pounds you have to start slowly with this stuff and you know that that's a big part of what my philosophy now is is and you know you when we were training, I didn't, I didn't really know most of the stuff that I know now and that I'm applying now. And so I think it'd be really cool to obviously take you through, you know, some of the stuff, more of the stuff that I've learned now, yeah. but um, it's, it's my, and, and it's funny too, because I was doing it a little bit with you in terms of like kind of the resting stuff, which I know you aren't necessarily a fan of because <laughs> I feel like I was trying to rest you too much and you're like, no, no, I just want to push. But and which is why, and you know, people thrive off that, and I love that. But I feel like what I'm trying to do now is build a foundation with when people that come to me, whether you're an athlete or not, we need to kind of go in, and, and I use the analogy of like either remodeling a house or like you know, in LA, it's popular buy a lot, tear the house down, and, and build a new one. So for me, it's like we got to start with your foundation, and then we build from there. And the foundation, in my opinion, is the nervous system. And, and strengthening the nervous system. When you give the nervous system the right stimulus, it's gonna give the body the ability to then perform better and function better because your nervous system and your brain will only give you so much strength or mobility or whatever that it feels safe with. Yeah. If it doesn't feel safe, it's gonna take something away and usually that's gonna be mobility or strength. So now true. that's for 
a bunch of different reasons. You know, it could have been from physical trauma, mental trauma, emotional trauma. You know, there's a lot of reasons why that's the case. Um, but I believe that that I'm a part of what I'm trying to learn and do is is learn how to tap into that and kind of build a more robust nervous system, but give people their movement back and, you know, in a way. So, but yeah, I mean, that's, <clears throat> excuse me, that's, you know, in, in an, I guess a nutshell, why <laughs> I've kind of the mind body stuff is like went through my own stuff, started looking into, you know, the meditation and the neurology and how everything's connected. And it was like this light bulb that went on. I was like, Holy crap. Like this is amazing. I want to learn as much of this as I can and start applying it to, you know, training and movement. So. I love that you call it movement. So I, I don't know for people listening, I have a show, it's called Wim, what is movement? And I always say all human beings are designed to move the ways in which we do are our unique creative expressions. Aaron is going to be on my show when we do in the next season. Um, yeah. But I am so uh, conscious of calling it movement. A lot of people have asked me that, like, why do I call it movement as opposed to training or exercise? Um, you know, and for me, it's because I believe that it is a creative expression and that all bodies are designed to move. Even people who are paralyzed communicate with their eyes. They're still moving. There is movement. That is part of, it's integral part of, of being human. And I- 100%. I mean, it's, it's our natural kind of um, intrinsic value of what our brain essentially is designed for complex movement. Our brain was developed over time for us to be complex movers. So, yeah, 100%. And so I think when people, uh, you know, they get locked into this idea of, like, exercise, workout, and that actually takes away some of the benefits of what movement provides. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. And, like, why do you call it movement? What does it mean to you? Yeah, I mean, 100%. So exercise is a man-made concept, right? Mm -hmm. Exercise is something that, that we created to fit in this box, basically, or gym, you know, to yeah, kind literally. of go through these repetitive motions of, you know, over time. And, and for whatever reason, you know, it, I think it got skewed over time. And, and you know, obviously with, the, the, uh, with technology and the ability with, like, you know, let's talk even in the 70s and 80s when you start getting movies and you see people like Arnold Schwarzenegger and whatever. And, and so the culture becomes around what is popular or what is seen. And so to me, you know, over time, it, it became this very much aesthetic approach of mindless. And, and again, I'd I, I be careful because I don't want to offend other movers and fitness enthusiasts out there because I definitely... You know, I, I did the bodybuilding stuff. I did all that. But but to me, it's just, it's this exercise is this boxed mentality to where movement, to your point, is this freedom of expression. Our bodies and brains are designed for movement. And, and that's it, really. Complex movement at its simplest form, which is, you know, walking, running, climbing, you know, moving things, building things with our hands, building tools, whatever it is you know, it is all designed, you know, it, it, it's intrinsic to what we, and then dance too, where you start looking at dance and rhythm and the cerebellum. And I read a book called, uh, this is your brain on music. And they talk about, um, movement and dance and some of that, how this whole idea that music was just this like made up thing that really has no value to us, which in my opinion is not true at all. And, and he debunks it in the book because 
we have what's called, or part of it is, is what's called entrainment, which is that rhythmic value of movement that's just naturally in us. Some people express it differently through, um, you know, dance, through movement, through, uh, you know, yoga, whatever it is. You can even do it with kettlebells or other stuff. I kind of made a post about that. But yeah, I mean, to me, I, I call it movement. And, and same thing with training. I say train movements, not muscles. Because, in, again, this goes back to the mind-body connection, but also the, the performance change of the body, the fascia of the body, the tissues, joints, ligaments, everything is connected. So when you start trying to isolate those connections, yeah, you, you, you might build strength or muscle, which is you know fine if that's all you're trying to do. But movement, in my opinion, then starts to become, starts to suffer a little bit, becomes inefficient and compartmentalized to where if you're training movements, you're training your whole system much better in my opinion. And so that's where I started looking at a lot more of the body weight training, which, you know, has to deal with, you know, more gymnastics style, style movements or the move mat, move mat method, um, you know, uh, animal flow, which, you know, whatever, but, you know, getting into that type of stuff, crawling, rolling, DNS, dynamic neuromuscular stabilization, getting down on the mat, relearning how to move as when you were a baby. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I start looking at is movement is for the neurological system and the nervous system. So to me, movement stimulates those things. Exercise is fine, you know, but, but again, I think that's, again, a man-made definition of, of, what inherently is is movement um so that's kind of you know and like you know to your point I, i've changed my terminology over the years of one just as i've learned learned more and become more educated just in, in i guess the areas that i want to focus on or the pathway that i'm going you know it's just movement to me is is the expression movement movement and you know just looking at and that's another psychological component to fitness is how do we um, talk about these things? You know, what are the words that we use? Like when I have a client, you know, I've changed how I, how I kind of phrase either cueing or, or for example, like saying, oh, my bad shoulder or your bad shoulder. Maybe we say, oh, well, that's just your inefficient shoulder or, you know, kind of looking at, at ways to, to use terminology. <laughs> I, I never say my blind eye or my bad. I always say, like, I'll say my stronger eye or, you know, the one that doesn't see as well, but I, I hate, like, I never want to say it's a blind eye. I totally get it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I feel like that kind of goes, you know, along the lines of the tar terminology that we use to about obviously talking with ourselves, because unfortunately, I feel like us as human beings, we're very quick to go to the negative, you know, in our own minds, we're very quick to, to be, to talk negatively. And even if it's unconscious and, and, and inadvertent to the point where you, you've gotten to the habit of saying my bad shoulder or my bad eye, or, you know, these negative kind of connotations towards, you know, how we describe ourselves or what we're doing. And same thing with my clients when I'm talking to them, you know, I'm, I'm very much trying to use different terminology you know, in different ways to kind of elicit responses and, and attitudes and beliefs around. So like I'll say your movement is bad, it's inefficient, right? Or it's, you know, maybe there's a compensation or an imbalance. It's, it's not like, you know, something that we need to correct. And that, even that, that, the term corrective exercise now has started to change where it's like, well, there's this idea that we're trying to correct something. No, 
the body is good at correcting itself. It just puts itself into these compensations or imbalances that over time can lead to issues. But, but there is, it's not, and I, I, you know, I was guilty. I used the term corrective exercise. I still do sometimes, but like, again, you know, I think this going back to your point with the terminology of movement, for me, it's changing the vocabulary around fitness and, and health. And, and so using terms, you know, movement and different things like that um, is, is a part of that, you know, so. Absolutely. I want to address something you said, because you were saying how you didn't want to offend anyone, you know, I, I think this is a very interesting discussion in the fitness industry is, I mean, the reality is most people do go into fitness for aesthetic reason. That's usually what draws people. Right. I don't, and I personally actually don't oppose it. I think it's a pretty incredible thing that we have this thing called vanity as human beings. None of us are invaluable, you know, none of us escape that. We all have vanity, we all have ego. I think as a culture, what's very interesting is I'm seeing this uh, like huge fear of vanity and ego and uh, this, uh, you know, calling making them pejorative and that we should really look down on it. When the reality is, you know, yes, hubris and narcissism are negative things. We don't want to aspire towards those. However, ego and vanity in many ways can save us and they are very much an integral part of being human. Um, And I think that it's, you know, it's a great thing that can actually save our lives and that can give us something to aspire toward. But all this to ask my question to you, um, how do you think that that is, like, do you see that, what do you see from people, like, clients you've worked with who maybe that was something that drew them? And then, you know, how do things change? Do people stay for those reasons? And also, my second part of the question would be in terms of, as a cultural thing, um, you know, what are your thoughts on how that's become pejorative? And that mm. we don't want to focus on that and that it's negative. Or the opposite side of it, people who take that way too far and that's all they care about. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, you know, obviously there's, there's a lot to kind of dive into with those. Um, I I think, you know, again, to what you're saying, your point and and what we kind of mentioned is first and foremost, you know, it seems like most of the time people get into fitness, you know, or hire a trainer, not, not all the time, because a lot of what I'm doing is, is now more pain management and injury and stuff. But a lot of it is the aesthetic. I want to lose weight, right? I want to look better, and which is fine. You know, it, it, it can be a motivator. But I feel like the fitness industry has, has kind of, you know, um, what's the word I want to use? I mean, supported it so much where, or, or kind of exploited that so much that that's become, and, and, and in my opinion, it, it started again with the bodybuilding era in a lot of ways of like, you know, hey, it, it, you just got to look good. You just want to, and for guys, it was always like, just want to be big, walk around with muscles. Girls, you know, wanted to be toned and lean. And it's like, for, you know, for me, the aesthetics are, it, for my training, the aesthetics are secondary. And what I try to tell people is aesthetics will come when you put in the work. When you dial in your nutrition, when you, when you constantly, or, you know, you consistently move and start doing a program, you're going to lose weight you're going to build muscle, you're going to get leaner, you're going to get stronger. Those things are, are going to be, are going to fall in place. But when you have a society and, and marketing strategies and shows like the biggest loser and, 
and all these other things, especially Instagram now and a lot of this where it's like, oh, 30 day shred, 60 day boot camp, you know, get, you know, get six pack in six weeks, like for everything. Yeah. Right. We're, we're bombarded with this idea that that's all fitness is and should be is that you just, you, or I've got to lose 10 pounds before my wedding. It's like, well, what were you doing for the last five years? Right. Now all of a sudden for the next six weeks, you want to try to lose 15 pounds and create some kind of in a way, almost unachievable goal. And you're going to put more stress on yourself. You're going to probably work out too hard. You're probably going to burn yourself out get injured, you're going to be super sore. You're probably not going to like the process because you think you need to kill yourself to get in shape. And it, it just becomes, then it becomes almost this negative thing of like, oh, well, I, you know, I, I just got to, I got to do all this stuff I don't want to do to get to kind of a point that I'm probably just going to let go after the fact that I get there. And for me, there's a quote that I always use or I use a lot, it's like we overestimate what we can do in a day and underestimate what we can do in a year. So it's like, it's this idea, everybody wants a quick fix, they want the pill, they want the fat burner, they want, again, you know, like I said, these these quick six week programs to get in shape. And, you know, to me, that's, that's where we're missing the point. Like, this is a lifestyle. This is not a quick fix. This is not an overnight thing. And the aesthetic part of it will come if you just put in the right work and you do the right things and you follow the right program and you have more of a manageable, healthy, you know, we used to call them smart goals, Equinox's term, smart, manageable, you know, attainable, realistic, time manageable. And, you know, for me, so a lot of people that have come to me, you know, but generally in the beginning, Oh, I want to lose 20 pounds. You know, I want to, I want to lose body fat. I want to do this. I want to do that. And, a, a majority of my clients over time that have stuck with me for a while, yeah. what they start realizing is, is they start dropping the weight and, and looking better, but they start feeling better. They start sleeping better. Nope. Injuries start to go away. They're, they're functioning better. You know, they're, they're, they had a meniscus problem that they had for years. It's now getting better. Now they're out skiing black diamonds or, mm-hmm. you know, they, they just maybe went through a divorce and, you know, they're getting back on the dating scene. And, and so all of a sudden they lose some weight they get confident, but their energy levels there are better. Their libido is better. There's this whole, there's 20 other things that are better besides the aesthetic. Now, don't get me wrong. The aesthetic can fuel some of that, right? You lose 10 pounds or 20 pounds. You're going to go, wow. All right, cool. Look at me. I feel good. And it could be a neurological component of benefit to where you start to build that pathway of, again, of benefit because the brain is kind of doing one of two things. It's either perceiving something as beneficial or something as like dangerous or negative. So until you can create that pathway of benefit to where your brain starts kicking in going, Hey, you need to do this because it's really good for you. Then then it's not going to stick. And there's ways that that happens. One is aesthetic, obviously looking better. So now, and you know, the endorphins and dopamine and, and now again, one would say, okay, well now we're affecting the nervous system. So maybe, the gut is healing, serotonin is better. So mentally and emotionally now, not only physically are you building that confidence, but mentally, emotionally. But so anyways, you know, back to the aesthetics again, it, it's, in my opinion, it's still too much of what the industry is focusing on and too much of, I, I feel like what people kind of get into fitness uh, sometimes or get back into fitness or, or, or create these goals around that just to me, you know, I, I, it's perfect example. I have a new woman that just started training. She's like, this is the worst shape I've ever been in my life. I used to be, you know, this way. And I've had a lot of people that do that. You know, they, they, 
they've come to me after years of being out of shape when they used to be like, I used to work out all the time. I was a gymnast. I was super lean. I blah, blah. Now I just, you know, I don't know what happened to me. And it's like, well, we got to look at what happened over the last five years. You know, did you change your job? Did you, how was your relationships? There's obviously a lot of reasons why that happens, but she comes to me very A type personality. I want a six pack. I want to lose weight. I want to do it next week kind of thing. Right. And so you know, part of my job is to temper those expectations, but also create an attitude and a belief around like, look, if you follow what I have you do and, and, you know, obviously I, I'm not going to sit here and say that I know it all. If I don't know something I research, I have no problem referring. If I don't know something, I will tell a person and I will do my due diligence to try to figure it out for them or find a reference or whatever. And I, and, you know, I, I encourage all my clients to not necessarily just take my word for it, but to look more into it. But if you follow what I have you do and we kind of get all of those things in place, you're going to lose the weight. You're going to look better. You're going to get leader. The aesthetics are going to come with that. And it doesn't have to be the sole focus. But I guess one of the main things now that I'm trying to do is let them know like, hey, so I'm reading this book called You Are the Placebo from, uh, do you know who Dr. Joe Dispenza is? I'm sure you've, you've yeah, heard of him. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I've, I've, yeah, yeah. So, you know, looking into that, so it's, it's really about creating an attitude and a belief around what you're trying to do, which is then going to get you the results that want. If your attitude and your belief does, isn't cultivated around the fact that it's going to happen for you or you're going to achieve that, or you're going to get there, then you're probably not in a lot of ways. Now, again, that takes work. It takes discipline. You have to cultivate that and you, and you have to work that you know, over time to be able to get there. But what my whole thing is with, with my clients, especially you heard this new woman who she's focusing so much on the aesthetic is I'm trying to cultivate this attitude and belief that, Hey, if we get your nervous system under control, cause she's got, she's had a lot of stress. She's dealt with her father passing recently and, and business stuff. She had a, a serious breakup. So over the last few years, emotionally, mentally, physically, she's been put through the ringer. Yeah. And so right now she's, she's kind of just focused on the aesthetic. I said, look, she's got neck problems and her, she's got lower back problems. And I said, if we don't take care of these things first yeah. and get your system right, there's no point in, in me trying to like just kick your ass and kill you for the next two or three months for just sure. so you can lose a few pounds. Yeah. I'm trying to create this attitude and belief that if we tap into your nervous system and we smooth out some of these inefficiencies and imbalances, Get your gut functioning better. Get your emotions in a better place. Work on breath work. Get your diaphragm and, and your nervous system and, and all this in place. Yeah. You're going to get the aesthetic results better and quicker and faster. And, and it's, 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 it's this domino effect. It, it's not just one piece of the puzzle. It's very multifaceted, or multifaceted and integrated. And so when people come to me for the first time, that's what I'm trying to do is relay that information. That Yes, I understand the aesthetic. I will take your body fat. We will look at, we will set that goal that, yeah, okay, we can lose 6% body fat in the next six months. But I also want to make it realistic and let them understand because there's this notion that they should be able to lose weight and body fat in a month or two months. And I'm like, <laughs> right. what people don't realize is, go ahead. Like, how long did it take you to get here? It's probably not going to happen in like a tenth of that time. Yeah. Exactly. 100%. And that's one of the biggest things I talk with people too is I'm like, okay, how long has your knee been hurting you? How long have you been in this situation or how long has this been going on? 
Sure. Many times it's been years that, and I'm like, you're not going to fix a problem that's been going on for years overnight. It's just not going to happen. And so, you know, if, if, if I can with my people start to at least help them to kind of, you know, take this information in and, and absorb it and embrace it, yeah. that hopefully, you know, as they stick, not hopefully, I mean, I've already proven it with many of my yeah. clients as they stick yeah. with me, the results are going to come. Yeah. And the aesthetic point, I, I guess the one last thing with, with the body fat is, you know, people think that they need to lose all this weight and body fat. And I'm like, what people don't realize is, is if you lose a half a percent to 1% body fat a month, that's really good progress. Right. So let's say you, you lost a, you can now, I'm not saying you can't do it faster because you can't, but let's say, and this is the, the, you know, example I give people, let's say you, you know, you lose 1% body fat a month. Well, in six months or eight months, you're going to be down six to 8% body fat. Right. For most people, that's huge. And that gets them down into the range that they should be in. Right. And so again, it goes back to my quote, we overestimate what we can do in a day. We yeah. underestimate what we can do in a year. Psychologically, people don't want to hear this is going to take six months or a year. They just, we don't wrap our heads around that. Same thing with like saving money, right? Most of us don't realize, well, if I just put 50, 50 bucks, you know, a month away in the next five years, I'll have saved X amount, thousands of dollars. And it's the same thing, you know, with, with the body. I just told my client, I said, you're putting money in the bank every time you're coming in. And as the months go by, unfortunately, we're not really wired that way psychologically. And now given the climate where we're in with our attention span and now, 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 and Amazon yesterday and, and Amazon, you know, right now and, and Instagram, you know, our eight second attention span and quick fixes. And, you know, like I was saying before, all, all this stuff, it's unfortunately, you know, really hard for people to kind of wrap their head around the process and, and, you know, the, the idea of just the aesthetics will come with the work, but doesn't happen overnight. So you know, totally. and I don't know, I, I kind of went on a rant there. I, I kind of feel like what I really do love is that I feel like, you know, yes, I wish that it wasn't the thing that people came in for, but what I love is that it draws people in and most people find so much more in the process. You know, yes. if, if they stick with it, you know, that may have been the thing that got them in the door and which is why I don't shame it because I'm like, hey, yeah. that's the thing that got you in the door. You're going to find right. so much, like the benefits are way beyond anything you thought possible. You know, yes. so I, I really love that, that people find it. And you're talking about this, like that they're finding all these like, emotional benefits, these, you know, certainly the biological health marker benefit. Um, and then, I mean, just some of this other stuff that I think is, you know, new in the science, but also just that people don't think about they don't realize how much that like that training that movement work translates to other areas of their life and yeah. i love to hear some of uh, you talk a little bit about like your client with the uh spinal cord injury um but i'd love to hear a little bit about too just even like the day-to-day -day mindset because i know that that translates to other areas of life and i'd love to hear some of your experience with that yeah, working. With yeah, I mean, and and you know, qu you know, quickly kind of going back to your point too of of getting somebody in the door, yeah. and you know, a lot of this stuff, you know, when I talk to people, I'm like, in a way, I don't care what you do, just move, just find something that you're gonna like, and if it is gonna get you in the door because you need to lose ten pounds, 
well, cool. Then it's my job to help you expand that yeah. and realize like, Hey, you know, and, and real quick too, I want to touch on, you know, what you're talking about, like the hubris and, and the ego and, mm-hmm. and the flip side of that. Cause I've done a couple posts of that, of, you know, posting me with my shirt off because I'm, I'm pretty lean and mm-hmm. you know, it's, how do people perceive these things? Now, obviously perception is very subjective. We all, you know, and, and there's a quote I, I like, it's like your perception of me is a reflection of you. You know, my reaction to you is, is an awareness of me, you know? So going back to like the hubris, the ego, some of that, a lot of what I've tried to do, even though, I mean, we, we are creatures, we're social creatures. We want acceptance. We, we, we are in groups. So we do want people to give us praise and we do, we want to hear our name being spoken. We want to hear that we've done a good job or that we're inspiring to other people. So I feel like, you know, to your point with the aesthetic, that's kind of been my message with some of this is like, okay, when somebody posts this, like what, what is your initial thought? And I think a lot of it comes down to, and, and this was the point I was making, not about me personally, but the message that's being put out there is, is if you're confident and you're, you're putting yourself out there in a positive light, it's okay, in my opinion, to sh- maybe show off a little bit or show your hard work and your dedication. Yeah, I, that's and, what I was going to say. Is it, it's you know? not just, I, I don't look at it as like just showing off. To me, it's any, any athlete and anybody who has worked hard at anything knows that it requires work. There's work, right. there's discipline. You know, those are the results of your efforts. And right. I think people should be proud of the work that they put in. That's not totally. something that somebody should hide or people should take pride and ownership of work that they've done. I think that's absolutely, that's a, you know, the fruits of your labor, right? That's, that's yeah. something I believe very much in. Um, and I'm an advocate well, for people, you know, reaping the fruits of their labor. Absolutely. So. Yeah. And what I think too, it kind of go, goes back to what I was saying before about mindset and how we speak to ourselves a lot. Yeah. Most of the time we don't give ourselves credit for the things that we've done and the accomplishments we've made or it's not enough credit. It's like, okay, well, what's the next thing I can do? And so that's kind of, you know, I think to your point, what you said too, about maybe some people that, that maybe take it a little too far where now it becomes this obsession and it's very ego driven and it's narcissistic. And it's like, either look at me, 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 or, or I'm all, I'm better than you. Or I, I, or from your own personal standpoint, not being satisfied enough that, now, don't get me wrong, that can sometimes be a good thing if it drives you to want to be better, but it can also be a negative thing if you never, if it's always what's next. If you're always living for what's next, you're never going to be happy. If it's like, well, if I can just get here, I'll be happy. No, you won't be because when you get there, you're going to go, well, now I'm here. What's next? Right. And that's fine in, in a healthy way. Now, now there's that balance too of like, you know, how, how do you kind of balance that out? How do you give yourself credit? How do you want to reach the next goal or look for the next goal without kind of going off the deep end so far that it's, it becomes this obsession and, and this thing where now you're sacrificing, you know, maybe your friendships are better than or, you know, continue to move on or whatever. And same thing, you know, the aesthetic part of it. The sound seemed to, the, yeah, the sound uh-oh. cut off. So let's just repeat that. But yeah. Can you hear me? I can. Let me show mine. Yeah. Okay. I can hear you. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, I was just basically saying, you know, the obs- looking at kind of, I guess the obsession of it. Is, isn't it a, a, an obsession? Is it a healthy obsession or is it something that, that is maybe not so healthy that, that can be affecting other areas of your life because you feel like 
I just always have to do better or I have to be better than, or you have to maybe step over other people or step on people's necks or whatever to get to where you need to go. And obviously in the fitness industry too, there's a, I was guilty of it a lot. You see, you know, people getting maybe attention and, and I've been very guilty of this where I, I, I feel like a lot of what I do is very unique and I don't maybe get the attention I deserve on social media sometimes. So I went down this hole of I see these pages with thousands of followers and they're, they're in my opinion, kind of shit. And so what I've had to do is check myself yep. and be like, you know what, what I need to understand is, is I just need to put my meshes out there. If it resonates with one people or a thousand people, cool. Now, granted, I would love to reach more people. You know, I would love to have a huge following and reach 10,000, 20, whatever it is. But at the same time too, I have to check my ego with some of this stuff and go, you know what, just do what you do. Give people credit. Fine. Maybe they're helping people. You know, maybe they, they can, you know, you see a video and, and cool. Well, yeah, I can do that, but it doesn't mean I have to take, you know, it's that quote of like, you know, dimming somebody else's light doesn't make your shine any brighter type of thing. Right. So there's definitely been a struggle and, and work for me in that sense of, of being humble and, and, and just, you know, checking my ego a little bit and putting my message out there, but still being confident and, and give myself credit and being positive, having a positive growth mindset, trying to be inspiring and motivating, showing off that hard work a little bit, showing off my skills a little bit. Cause I do really like when people go, Oh my God, how do you do that? Or, you know, you look you great. You do you know, so absolutely. Do, so, yeah. Um, so anyway, that's, able to do those things. So yeah. <laughs> right. And the, the accomplishment, I think that's a big part of why I got into the calisthenics and the handstands and a lot of that, because to me, it's, it's another level to attain of, you know, like, okay, I, I've done, I kind of achieved all this. And, and in my, honestly, my opinion, a lot of the weightlifting, or at least for me, it's kind of gotten boring. So I'm kind of like, all right, how can I kind of scratch this itch of, of really wanting to kind of take it to the next level? And so that's where I started looking at these complex skills and, and really trying to, to hone that stuff in because it's humbling at the same time, because it's like, this stuff takes years of practice and dedication to be able to really do, as you know, you know, to do handstands and levers and do these things, it muscle ups, these, these things take years to accomplish in some cases. And so, you know, for me, that in and of itself can be very humbling and kind of checking my ego, but also very rewarding when I accomplish one of those skills or I get better at one of those skills. So um, anyway, that was, I just wanted to kind of touch back on a little bit of that. Um, and then, you know, as for the client stuff and, you know, like you were asking about, you know, my client with the spinal cord injury and some of that. So what I've gone back or I guess what I'm really a lot more interested in now is helping people like him and helping people that come to me that, that have maybe a lot of injuries or a lot of imbalances or a lot of inefficiencies. And, you know, like I was touching on before is when you start providing this stimulus in the right way and the, the neurological stimulus and the vision training and the cerebellum training and all that, you just see, you know, again, some of it is, is anecdotal just from what I've seen just one-on-one -on -one with, with people. But I mean, a lot of this stuff is proven through science, through neurology that you can affect physiologically, emotionally, whatever, through, you know, these, these neurological components. Um, but when I take somebody like him who has very, you know, inefficient motor function on his left side and start seeing the change over time. 
you know, he's been training with me for a year now. And like I said, so he's doing stuff that he hasn't been able to do for the last 20 years of his life. You know, he's lost a ton of weight. He's moving better. He's stronger. His balance is better. His energy is better. He's sleeping better. He's, you know, like I mentioned before, he can actually put his own sock on. He can do stuff that he just wasn't able to do. You know, and, and he gets, you know, he's like 63, 64, and he lights up like a little kid too when he's like, Aaron, this is something I, I can do now. And, and, and to him, and he even still tries to go, I know it's not really that big a deal. I'm like, no, dude, that's huge. huge. You know, for you, that, the, these are big things, which, which to us and, and to a lot of people can seem like stuff we take for granted or can be small things. You know, for, for certain people, these things are huge. I mean, these are the whole world. And again, this goes back to the neurology of it. Now you've created that neural pathway of benefit to where the brain kicks in and goes, wow, this is working. I need to keep doing this. So they're more likely to continue to do that. Now he's foam rolling on his own. He never foam rolled before. He's like stretching on his own. He's doing his brain drills and eye drills that I have him do like every day on his own. He's like, and I love seeing, and, and that's what I love about a lot of this stuff is seeing my clients kind of take off after like, usually it's about six months to a year to where they've completely changed most of their habits. They've changed their nutrition. You know, they, they've changed, you know, their, their sleep cycles. They, they've changed a lot of things and now they're reaping the benefits from it. And that's why I love to do what I do when my clients come in and say, Oh, you know, I did this or, you know, one of my clients had meniscus problems. We got him through that and he was out skiing black diamonds. You know, he's like, oh, I was doing your vestibular drills before I would go down the slopes and like, you know, or I've, I've had clients that I've trained for like literally two months that'll message me a year later and say, hey, I'm still doing that hip drill you showed me and it's really helped me or hey, you know, I'm still doing those, those eye drills or even people I don't train that have seen some of my videos and go, oh, I started implementing those eye drills or that breathing technique or or they'll hit me up and say, hey, you know, what What can I do for this or that? And and so, you know, that, that's been, I guess, the reward for me in the message, especially with all of the neurology stuff, just seeing how much it's helping people. Yeah. It really reaffirms, you know, why I'm doing it. And it's still just not very mainstream. It's not, oh. you know, most trainers don't know about this. A lot of therapists and physical therapists don't know about this stuff. But um, so... Yeah, I don't know if that was kind of your question yeah, about. No, absolutely. I mean, uh, I, I'm a huge believer. Even the, I think a lot of the science wasn't there when I was little, um, but we certainly did so much of it. I mean, I, I spent two hours a day with a patch over my eye. I mean, I had a patch over my eye every other day of my childhood, over my strong eye, but I spent two hours a day, every single day, doing my exercises. Um, and then I would do vestibular training with the patch on my eye, you know, have to walk on a beam and I didn't have hearing aids yet. You know, I, so I did so much of that. I also, you know, did little, um, like I would be in a wet sandbox and have to try and reach for different toys. That, that was mostly for the hypotonia, but it was also for proprioception for, you know, vestibular training. It was all of it. And, you know, again, just to reiterate, like I, while so much of the science and the specific stuff that you're doing now, which is way more advanced, wasn't around. But, you know, we did variations of it. And I, I, I truly believe it is why I'm here today and functioning at the level that I can function today. 
So yeah. I'm a huge believer and I am so yeah. glad that like, it, it's so exciting to me to see you doing this kind of work with people and to see where this goes and that people are benefiting. And yeah, I, I think it's incredible, honestly. Well, and, and I think too, what I think luckily for you, in some ways you had people around you that, that for whatever reason were able to get you into that or do that or, or, or have that knowledge to help you. Because unfortunately there's, well, I think I think what what happens is is, is it's very specialized is is what's been in the past to where you go see one person for vestibular you go see one person and it's very much clinical, very specialized maybe very specific to your diagnosis or or to you know what's happening with you which which is fine I mean I think that's great but it's been a very much specialized clinical thing that hasn't been able to to be broad put out in, in, in more of a broader sense and more of a, uh, you know, a, a stimulating sense for just people in general, because yeah, you know, I've definitely heard of like, you know, kids who maybe had uh, you know, hyperconversion and, you know, they do eye drills and stuff, but then once it's kind of fixed, it's, it's over with, they don't continue to do those things or it was at, at childhood and it was because it was specialized through a clinic or through a hospital or through a special doctor. And then once it's kind of done, it's done, you move on through life. And then, you know, un unfortunately, a lot of that stuff, even now, though, you know, I had, had like a, a friend of mine, she has MS, and I started talking to her about saccades and doing some of this stuff. I'm like, have any doctors ever done any of this? She's like, I've never even heard of this stuff. So unfortunately, there's still a lot of people, even strokes. So like my dad had a stroke a couple, uh, about a year ago, a year and a half ago. And, you know, they, they weren't really doing any type of this training with them, you know, they would have them come in and do some basic kind of balance training, some other stuff. But here's, you know, a crazy kind of anecdotal story with my dad. So he it affected his right side, his stroke affected his right side. And so one of the drills that I really love to do is what's called a saccade drill. And saccades have been clinically proven and have been shown to help people with TBIs, traumatic brain injuries. So concussion, strokes, that type of stuff. And so, and then there's your cerebellum. So the cerebellum, I'll, I'll go into that just very quickly. The cerebellum is Latin for little brain. Cerebellum is basically your brain's control center. And what's cool about the cerebellum is it's 10% of the brain's mass, but it holds 50% of the brain's neurons. So it's like the control center for the brain, basically. It's the kind of the last thing until it starts going down the pons, medulla oblongata, into the spinal cord and all that. But what people don't realize is, is a lot of times we think of cross-processing of the brain, left eye to right hemisphere, right to left. Well, in actuality, what happens is, is yeah, the left eye cross-processes, but the right cerebellum actually affects the right side of the body and vice versa. Mm -hmm. And so with my dad, what I had him do is I had him do a little bit of a cerebellar drill, and I had him do a saccade drill, and he went from he, – he wasn't able to write his name he did those drills and was able to write his name like immediately after those drills. And what was crazy was he, I, I, we were remote. So he texted me. He was like, Oh, Aaron. He's like, I just wrote my, my name. I said, was that after you did the drills? He's like, yeah, I just did those drills. And now I'm actually able to write my name. And so, you know, just that. And like I said too, with what I'm doing with, with my client, Jeff, with the spinal cord injuries, who has these breakthroughs daily, basically every session we have, other clients that, you know, have them do an eye drill and all of a sudden their mobility opens up and they can touch their toes or shoulder mobility increases or, or whatever. 
you know, it's, it's, it's just, you know, to me, this is kind of, you know, the missing link and, and these, these things of like, you know, how, how it affects your whole system is just, you know, it's, it's just amazing to me. So. Truly, truly amazing. Yeah. Um, I want to, you know, back, sorry, back to that point with you is I, I want to help kind of bring this to the masses of, of, hopefully, you know, looking at just training from a, a, a different lens, you know, than, yeah. than what we've been doing. So, but no, yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, no. We're, we're going to do a win session and you're going to actually show some of the stuff you do. Because okay. I'm super love excited it. about that. If, you, if you're open to that, I would love it. Oh, I, I would love to. Yeah. The, the more yeah. I can get this out, the merrier for sure. Absolutely. I want to do a little bit of a segue. I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on um, because you are so into that you really understand this whole mind-body connection and I love that you don't address you know uh, movement and training from just the physiological you, you're talking about your clients and it's you know it's really all about their lifestyles the, the whole picture podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.